All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to the Ancient Highway Podcast Network. This is Erased, your environmental news podcast. I'm your host, Pimo. Today is September 2nd, 2021. We are at the weekend before Labor Day. We are watching and observing Hurricane Ida make its way through the American Northeast. We'll be talking about that in a bit. But before we get there, I'm coming to you from Austin, and then we have a full house today. Finally, have a full house of, of our co-hosts today. Uh, my two favorite people, Mary Carrion and Dana Miller. Welcome, Dana and Mary. Hi, how's it going? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Pimo. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Good to have you back, Mary, and hi, everyone. Yeah. Thanks. It's nice to be back. Well, it's nice to have you back because we can have a nice, robust conversation about the things we're going to talk about today. So before we, we dive into this conversation, I do want to introduce our topics really quick. We'll have four total today, and we'll, we'll, we'll have, all three of us will chit-chat about the news and what it means to the world. Obviously, like I said at the top, we'll be talking about Hurricane Ida and the damage it's, it's caused both in the southeast and the northeast. We'll also be talking about a court ruling. Uh, the court, uh, a, a court has tossed out Trump's water pollution policy. We'll also talk about uh, raw sewage that had polluted a, a black uh, community and kind of what's happening down there. And lastly, we'll be talking about President Joe Biden's new office for climate and health equity. So hopefully we'll, we'll have a, a great discussion with each of these four topics. But the main topic, of course, is what's been happening with Hurricane Ida. It's caused quite a bit of damage over this past week in many parts of the United States. It started off way down in southeast uh, near Louisiana and caused quite a bit of destruction in New Orleans and it made its way north towards New York. Quite a bit of flooding there. We've seen images of heavy water damage gushing into subway systems. Uh, flights being canceled, obviously. I was by coincidence in Houston last week. I was not too far from Louisiana. And even though the weather in, in, in Houston wasn't bad, we did get kind of the, the, uh, the outer edge of it. We got a little bit of wind, a little bit of rain for two days. And so, of course, nothing, nothing that was life-threatening, but we, we you know, was able to get catch just a tiny portion of it. So it was definitely... The hurricane definitely had its impact felt across the United, across the eastern half of the United States. So Dana and Mary, let's kind of rope you both in and kind of uh, Dana, if you kind of want to jump in here real quick and kind of you know tell us your initial thoughts about what's going on and you know you, you've kind of experienced yeah. it well. So kind of how is this on the, on the scale of bad weather? Yeah, I was just mentioning before we started recording here that I was in New York City during Hurricane Sandy in 2012. So, and that was, of course, just a frightening and awful experience. Um, yeah, it, this is just so sad. The death toll I'm reading, you know, I read earlier has topped over 40 people now, and it's just completely blindsided the Northeast. I don't think anyone was really expecting that it was going to be this bad. Um and I think in regards to, you know, connecting it to climate, I don't think it's interesting. You're seeing things on TV, you're reading news articles, and a lot of American news outlets are refusing to use the phrase climate change, which should be surprising to me, but it isn't. It's disappointing. Um, 
you know, climate change is obviously making hurricanes a lot worse with the warming weather. Um, and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, I think that the lack of like admission that that's what's happening, that this is climate change is a failure on mainstream media and outlets who are covering this. I think that it's misleading to just simply call it a natural disaster because it is much more than that. I mean, that word is not even, that word is almost uh, obsolete now due to climate change. You know, we're not just watching these random natural disasters happen. We're watching climate change, you know, exact its wrath upon the earth right now. And this week has been a crazy week for climate change as we're seeing, as we're seeing. Yeah. Both of your points. I want to share real quick. I I just did a a Google news search for Hurricane Ida. And here's just a sampling of the headlines. Did your favorite vacation spot survive Hurricane Ida before and after images from the sky? Hurricane Ida before and after images. Yeah, Ida dredges New York and New Jersey. Aerial view of the devastation. Flight for Zoom and some power restored. I mean, nowhere does it say anything about climate change or deaths or it's just like, hey, here's an hurricane. Here's kind of some images. Have fun looking at it. And, and it's, did, your, I mean, like, did your vacation spot survive? Right. Right. I mean, climate, climate silence at this point is negligible. It's completely negligent on the part of people who are reporting on this. You know, obviously that really falls on bigger publications such as who, who everyone, MSNBC, CNN, you know, whoever, whoever it is, um, anybody else who's reporting on Hurricane Ida. Yeah, and, and to your point, Mary, I mean, look, I look, CNN, USA Today, AccuWeather, BBC, New York Times, Weather Channel, AP News, CNN. These are all, all, all these headlines I just read to you were from those publications. Exactly. You know who I've seen do pretty well with it is The Guardian. They're always usually pretty good. They actually did an article about why US TV news won't say climate change and related it specifically to Ida. And of course, you know, publications like National Geographic, Washington Post um, did an, an article a few days ago about how climate change helped uh, make Hurricane Ida one of Louisiana's worst. So certainly there's there's some publications that are doing well, but not enough, not the national ones that everybody reads. It's more so of the niche, you know, smaller right. publications, yeah. in my opinion. And well, it's like people, people now can watch and, you know, people ab- absorb TV and the news from TV more than any other way that people are consuming news. That is the most popular way to consume what is happening in our country and around us pretty much. It has been that way. Um, for a very long time now. And the fact that we can watch the emergency sort of unfold in real time on our TV and cell phone screens, but no one is making that connection on these much bigger, you know, mainstream media platforms, that it's a result of climate change. We can't just expect viewers and people who are absorbing news from the TV to simply imply like you know imply that this is climate change or make that connection that it is climate change unfortunately it is a a, it is the reporter's job to tell them that this is what's happening you know that like this is this is what it is you know we can't just rely on people to just know that information um so 
again, the responsibility here, like we're really, it's really, I mean, so many of these publications are just falling down. Yeah, I, I do want to get into to, to a very specific point about climate change and hurricanes in Florida in a minute. This is, you know, uh, Dana, you had mentioned uh, during our, our, our pre-meeting here, but I do want to just share a couple of quick stats. Um, you can see the, uh, the, the, the hurricane formed on August 26th, had the highest winds reached 150 miles an hour, 40 people have died mm -hmm. so far. Areas affected include Venezuela, Colombia, Jamaica, the Cayman Islands, Cuba, the Gulf Coast, uh, which includes Louisiana, uh, the Eastern United States, uh, the Atlantic Coast, and Canada. Most of the deaths have been in New Jersey and New York. Uh, mm -hmm. And the ones firefighters, firefighters, yes, they they they've they suffered. Uh, firefighters had to be rescued in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Firefighters who were doing the rescuing had to be rescued out of floodwaters. It was actually I watched the footage and it was yeah. very shocking to see. Louisiana was mauled by mauled to death by an alligator because of the of the floodwaters brought the alligator to him, if I remember correctly. Oh um, my god! Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's just kind of something we just want to. Well, I just want to go over the stats real quick. It's kind of just what the instruction was. The one place, uh, and this is where I kind of want to take this conversation now, is the one place that was missed was Florida, and it seems like yes. it's, my question, or I guess my I guess my curiosity here is, it seems like. Florida has been pretty quiet this year in terms of being missed uh, in hurricane season. I know it's not, it's not, we're not over with it yet. We still have another month to go for hurricane season, uh, maybe six weeks. But Dana, you know, are, are we, is, is this year kind of an anomaly? Uh, you know, are we, are, you know what, are, what, are we, what are we seeing with climate change and the alteration of the way we see hurricanes kind of navigate. Because you also brought this up in the context of Sandy, how it, this is a point that Mary made of like, Sandy went up the East Coast instead of through the Gulf Coast and then, you know, back up. Right. So are, are we seeing a change in the way, weather pattern happening with hurricanes? I think so. You know, I'm not a, an expert, but I think that people don't, I, I think people are starting to see it, but I think that the changing weather patterns, which is caused by climate change, um, you're going to start seeing these things, these types of weather events in places you've never seen them before. Um, and that's my prediction. You know, I've been in Florida now for a year. I'm currently in Canada, but knock on wood since last July, we haven't had anything. And, and, but other places have been completely hammered. And I just think that's part of climate change is changing weather patterns. And, and, and we're obviously making these these statements off of observations, not off of actual uh, actual, you know. I mean, changing weather patterns is a is a fact that is happening. But you know, of course, th for this specific topic, of course, it's it's my observation. Yeah, right. And if I may throw in my own observation, and Mary, feel free to throw in yours if you have any. But at least here in Texas. Uh, I've been told through the, and this is anecdotally the observation of others, so I'm, I'm just relaying this information that was shared with me. You know, right now, we, here we are in the first week of September. It, it's, you know, still the thick of summer. We've only had maybe a dozen days through this entire summer period so far of triple-digit weather, which is unheard of in, in Austin. Normally, we, I mean, there, have been there have been years where we've had, you know, 30 days in a row of triple-digit weather. And we've only had 16 days total out of what 70, 60, 70 days so far. Um, 
you know, still have 20 days left in summer. And we, we, we it's, it's quite possible that we don't even have a t one full month of 100 or, or warmer uh, temperatures in the city, which is considered a mild summer for Austin standards. And everybody's been telling me how lucky I am personally that my first summer here in Austin has been the mildest summer they had in decades. And, but the other thing they've been noticing is more humidity. So like the temperatures are lower, but the humidity is higher. And, you know, it's just, it's a curiosity now of like, again, like it's, it, ma it makes you question like, well, what is happening here is, you know, um, you know, it, we, we see, you know, changes in temperature patterns in, here in Austin, there's changes in, there's potential changes in hurricane trajectories that are, you know, that, 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 that's not best in Florida. Mm -hmm. Things that we're just watching with our with our eyes and and and, and memories. This is there was a, a study I was reading a couple of weeks ago, and it indicated seventy percent um, out of the four hundred and five extreme weather events that they had tracked and trends um, were found to be made more likely or more severe by human caused climate change. So I think it's absolutely you know. You can't deny facts like this from scientists, from people who do this all day, and this is their job. Um, and just going back to the extreme heat, out of the 122 attribution studies that had looked at extreme heat around the world, 92% found that climate change made it more severe. So I think that, you know, at this point, if there's anyone saying that these extreme weather crisis crises these extreme weather patterns and, and kind of abnormal or bizarre events, weather events, if you will, are not caused by climate change. You're just not living within the realm of reality at this point. Right. Well, <clears throat> I would also, I would also like to add, that, like, you know, when we talk about the fact that it is human caused climate change, I would like to point out the very, very hefty role that the fossil fuel industry has played in this human caused climate change, because sure, yes, we all drive cars, you know, we all use a bunch of energy throughout the day, you know, we use water, sometimes some of us probably even waste water, you know, we also all of us do have a little bit of a hand in the creation of greenhouse gases. However, none of us emit and damage em em emit the amount of greenhouse gases. And every, all the damage done to the earth as the fossil fuel industry, which is burn. obviously a human made <laughs> industry. Yeah. Burn, burn those fossil fuels. It's just like, yeah, it's since the beginning of the industrial revolution and it's just gotten worse and worse right. and worse. And, right. you know, lands that were forests are now, are now like farmland. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. You're completely right. And I would also like to throw in the fact that like the hurricane season, which are, you know, was not that long of a season originally before, like 50 years ago, it was maybe like what a span of three, yeah. four months yeah. now is inching closer to around like six months. Yep. Uh, that is pretty uh, crazy. That's like, that's, mind-blowing to know that that it has elongated and sort of changed in its structure a lot um and also i would say that that is parallel to fire season now that is happening on the west coast fire season is no longer just a summer end of summer event which it traditionally was or you know 
uh, end of summer into fall event that it was again, like 50 years ago. Now it is also pushing around six, like half a year. Right. And I think like what, and Pimo and I discussed this on our last podcast is that the developed world is responsible for most of the climate change situation. So over 70% of greenhouse gas emissions was due to developed countries. And we were discussing how these other countries that are feeling most of the effects of climate change are not actually responsible for the issue that we have. So I think that, you know, is obviously just very sad. And the United States needs to do a lot more in its hand of either helping like climate refugees (laughs) or really truly like shutting down the fossil fuel industry or something, or, you know, beginning the shutdown. Cause I recognize that's obviously going to be a, uh, that will have to be like a rollout or like a roll down situation. It's not going to be like a flip of a switch. <laughs> that would never work. Well, speaking of um, Dana, did you want to uh, give some resources for people who have been affected by Hurricane Ida to kind of, you know, where they can go for help and assistance? Uh, you know, they need some some guidance to get to get through this period. Uh, do we have any resources we could share with people? Do you want to share that now or at the end of the episode? Um, yeah, absolutely. I do have a few that I've donated to myself. So the United Way of South East Louisiana is a really good one that my husband and I just made a donation to. Um, the Greater New Orleans Foundation is really great with disaster response and, rest- and a restoration fund. Um, so it helps other community organizations. So it's very um, micro, which I love. I love these smaller community organizations. Um, Imagine Waterworks is another one for climate justice, which is very um, appropriate with this podcast. Um, sorry, Pimo, I'm just trying to think here. Project Hope is a really good one. Um, and Save the Children has been really good. They've been helping out a lot of families impacted by the storms. And then the Humane Society, let's not forget about the animals. Um, I definitely made a donation a dona- donation to them uh, this week also. Um, trying to think. I feel like there's- You know, if you're not- in these areas- Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I feel like there's not enough attention to the animals that are getting displaced or harmed due to the, due to the storm and the hurricane. And it, thinking about that is just completely heartbreaking. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I'm sorry, most of those that I mentioned are in the New Orleans area. I, I haven't made any contributions for the Northeast yet, but I'm sure there's many. So maybe we can end on Northeast, um, Northeast areas that you can, that people can help out on, like even volunteering. I feel like a lot of people, it's great to give money, but they do need hands, like, you know, all hands on deck. So. Cool. Okay. So uh, thank you both for that great discussion on the hurricane. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about there, and we'll we'll share a few news links and in, in the episode notes of this episode. Uh, but we, we we should move on now to our next topic, which is a, a federal ruling. Uh, this is our second episode in a row talking about a federal ruling. Uh, last episode we talked about you know a, a judge uh, stopping a federal pipeline in Alaska. This one is another Trump era ruling. Uh, the judge uh, tossed out a Trump-era rule. This Trump rule had rolled back some water pollution protections. Uh, these protections were, were put into place by President Obama when he was around. And so the court order 
and coincidentally, the court order was issued by a, an Obama appointee. The uh, court order specifically uh, repealed a 2019 rule, which repealed an Obama rule uh, known as the Waters of the United States rule. Uh, this Obama protection had actually expanded uh, the, the uh, protection of smaller waterways across the United States. The, uh, the, the Trump administration's rule had basically allowed for greater pollution uh, through deregulation of these waters. But now the, 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 the rule has been tossed, at least the Trump, the Trump rule has been tossed out. Now the, the judge has been debating whether to reinstate the Obama rule or to allow the Biden administration to make changes to the rule and make revisions to allow for greater protection. That's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, I think this is such a great win for yeah, but, yeah, you know, the six federally recognized Native American tribes who had actually sued the EPA and the Army Corps for passing that rule. So it's and it's failed to protect their waterways. So, you know, of course, this is a, a big win for them. But sorry to interrupt you there, Pimo. Perfect. And just so you know, the, the, the Obama expansion of protection was put into place in 2015. So it lasted for four years before Trump had rescinded it. And uh, this is according to the Biden administration that the Trump era rule, the, the, the rescission of, of the Obama rule, had caused a 25% point drop in decisions that water should get clean water protection. So that means waters were getting 25% less protection as a result of the Trump rule that would not have happened had the Obama rule been in place, allowed to stay in place. So that was kind of the, the immediate effect of, of the Trump rule. And so hopefully, you know, by allowing this, this, uh, the, this Trump rule to be rescinded would now allow for more protections to be put, put back in place. And so Mary, I don't know if you, if you read this at all, did you want to jump in and give any perspective of kind of what's going on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, not only is this a huge win for, you know, Native American communities in this country, God, and I'm, it's just such a relief because we don't ever really have anything to celebrate like that ever for the Native American community. But mm -hmm. this is also just a win for scientific integrity, which I think is something that, you know, right now and pretty much since the Trump era that has been at stake. Like that is something that has been endangered. You know, we, so many times now we hear about people not believing science and truly making wild life decisions around the opposite of what science says, thinking that they're doing the right thing, you know, mm -hmm. and just, you know, so it's good to see science win here. And it, especially in regards to uh, moving forward in a positive direction, finally, for the environment and for water specifically, the most important resource here for us. So the only people, you know, the only people opposing the protection of the waterways was the developers and the businesses of course. Who, are, who are profiting from, you know, of course. from less restrictive federal regulations. And, and, you know, they're saying, oh, it should be left up to the state. Well, of course it should be because there's far more of a chance for you to proceed with your, you know, with whatever you're, you're mining. And, you know, I think I read in Georgia, there was a mine a few miles away from a national wildlife refuge, um, which is now in question, which is great. So I love this. It's great. What a win. 
It is. It's a huge win. Um, also, what's interesting is that in the stories, like in, in the reported stories, whether you're looking at the New York Times or I think the Hill also covered it, but mm-hmm. um, there's a, you know, they, they talk about these farmers who wanted Trump to implement this plan. And I'm just so curious who those farmers are, because right. I just, you know, like, are we talking about Monsanto farmers? Like, who are we talking about here, actually? Right. Yeah, we're talking about the big corporations. We're talking right. about these guys. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I will. I will read you from Reuters, the Reuters report, that uh, the you know the it was farmers, ranchers, and manufacturers. And so you, you're probably thinking big farm, you know, manufacturing. Right. Right. Big ag. Right. So th- those are probably people on on the, on the one side. Um, the judge, the federal, the district court judge is from Arizona, by the way. Uh, her name is Rosemary Marquez. So that's who, uh, that's who gave the ruling uh, against the Trump uh, era rule. And she had claimed that the Trump rulemaking process was filled with errors. So Mary, this is to your point of scientific integrity. You know, even the judge is, is, is basically agreeing with you, Mary, in, in your statement by saying that, mm-hmm. that the rulemaking was filled with errors. And that's why I have to reverse the attorneys uh, that argued f- in favor of the rescission, so that argued against the Trump rule, was from Earth Justice. They represented a few tribes, including Pasqua, I hope I'm saying this right, Pasqua, Yakai tribe, Tohono uh, Udham Nation, uh, the Kenalt Indian Nation, Menominee uh, in Wisconsin, Fond du Lac Band in Lake Superior Chippewa, and the Band River Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Those were the, the tribes that were uh, challenging the Trump rule, and they were they were victorious in this. So this this shows you that it, it, it was not just one corner of a tiny state. This was, you know, these were tribes in the Midwest, in the Upper Midwest. A judge in Arizona. This is clearly a, a, a national rapport. And, and yeah, that, it's a nationwide ruling for sure. Exactly. So. You know, the, the, this is not a little thing. And, you know, they, they'd sue the EPA. Uh, they sued the Army, the, the Army Corps of Engineers. And so, like both of you said, this is a, a big victory for, for the tribes, big victory for the environment. So uh, hopefully uh, we, we see more rulings like this down the line. And uh, a lot of these uh, environmental losses that we suffered during the Trump administration would be rescinded. So thank you both again for contributing to that news item. Let's move on to our next one. This is a report I'm reading to you now from NBC News. The headline reads, raw sewage polluted this black community. Now residents are fighting back. The subhead says raw sewage pools and yards bubbles out of manholes and backs up into the tubs, toilets, and sinks, according to a lawsuit filed by the Cahokia Heights, uh, Illinois residents. So this is in Illinois. Uh, Basically, you know, just to, again, reading from the, the, the NBC News report, you'd have these days of rain and floodwaters in the 80s in southwestern Illinois. So we're talking about rural Illinois here. And you'd have this, you know, you'd have raw sewage clogging up pipes, leaving foul. Could you imagine? What was that? I just said, could you imagine walking into your backyard and just seeing sewage everywhere like in your bathtubs your toilets your sinks like I could not I would immediately move and obviously that's not an option for you know a lot of these people but continue I just had to make that comment and you're you're so on point Dana so you know this is this is clearly an environmental justice issue and 
it got to the point where there, there, in July, so two months ago, there was a federal lawsuit filed. And the lawsuit alleges, and I'm quoting, that there were decades of government failure to ensure basic sewage and stormwater services, which have created an environmental injustice for this Black community. I would like to point out that it has been an issue for four decades. I mean, four decades, they haven't been able to get their shit together because of corruption and, you know, lack of funding as a result of that corruption within this community. Was it pun intended when you said they didn't get their shit together? (laughs) (laughs) Boom. The Urban Urban League of (laughs) Metropolitan St. Louis is, um, has helped them um, collect bottled water donations. And, you know, that's incredible. I'm so thankful to them and I'm sure the community is, but just to wake up every day and not be able to take a drink from your tap water and not want to shower, you know, skin, our skin is the largest organ on our body. So would you trust taking a shower in in garbage? I wouldn't. This is absolutely an atrocity. And I honestly can't believe that I couldn't find more than maybe two, um, stories on this. this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Also, one very di- also extremely disturbing detail that I found just in reading about this was that the issue has been has plagued this area, which is, again, predominantly black residents for, again, four decades. And it's even pushed some residents to purchase boats to be able to navigate feces filled filled waters when roads become impassable can you like it's not even real life this is something out of a yeah horror film like it reminds me my husband when we were driving my husband's from a rural not rural pennsylvania but just outside of philadelphia and i remember he told me the story about a town in pennsylvania where i can't remember exactly what it is whether it was I'll look it up, but it was some sort of disaster caused by um, energy of some kind. And there's still people there who refuse to leave because they really want to stay, but it's very bad for your health. And then you think of these people who just, they don't have anywhere else to go. Where are they going to go? They're going to pack up and move. No one's going to want to buy your house if you put your house for sale. So what are their options? I want to read you a couple lines from the embassy. For people in Cahokia Heights, desperation has set in. Some liken the lack of functioning sanitary system to third world conditions. The black mold that formed in this family's bedroom from all the water was so nauseating, they resorted to sleeping on a couch. Centerville, whose population is about 5,000, is 93% black, has been one of the poorest towns in Illinois and the United States, with about half of its residents living below the poverty level. So you're right. I mean, if you're living below the poverty level, you're not going to be able to sell your house. You can't be able to afford to even live in your bedroom. That's how bad it is. Right. So, I mean, you know. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it all comes back to these industrial companies that once operated in the area, right? They contributed to the problem, pumping out groundwater, um, you know, artificially lowered the water level and masked the hazardous conditions. And then now it's kind of all coming to fruition. Um, I just, yeah, I I can't imagine living there. I can't imagine what these people would do. I feel like the government really needs to step in and, and do something. And, you know, we've discussed this on previous podcasts. Is there not something they can do for, you know, this is unlivable. Therefore we've paid you for your home and we're moving you all to a, you know, like there just needs to be something that needs to be done at this point. 
I want to read you one more line that can kind of drive this point home of just how bad it was. Nicole Nelson, the executive director of Equity Legal Services, became involved in Centerville in March 2018 when a resident named Walter Bird sought help for an ex with an exorbitant utility bill. Offhand, he mentioned to her that whenever he flushed his toilet, human waste would flow out from his yard. Struck oh by my God. from that statement, Nelson followed him to his home and saw putrid conditions and stagnant waste for herself. And there is a picture of sewage right behind his home. In I mean, what's what's also so awful is that like this is more than just an environmental justice issue and it's a it's a racial justice issue, but it's also a complete health crisis. Right. Like being Public surrounded, health. being surrounded by feces and all of the bacteria and whatever else grows there it, is enough to probably kill you, at least lead to uh, extreme health health problems from right. being ex from exposure long-term exposure no less for sure yeah what or really decades of exposure oh yeah like oh i think just even the worst part is they were denied a federal emergency management agency grant which you know that i don't understand i read that right. um like if they don't qualify for the grant i don't understand what city would yeah, that makes no sense at all. Well, no. there is a lawsuit in the in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of Illinois, and we will be tracking this lawsuit. And hopefully, there is some sort of injunction or, or ruling that would be in favor of the residents, and that there would be uh, a, man, a, a legally mandated uh, recovery effort. So, uh, hopefully, in a future episode, we will we will update you on whatever happens with this lawsuit, and hopefully, maybe we can talk to somebody and. Cahokia, Cahokia oh, Heights. Yeah. Maybe we can talk to. We can bring someone on and chat with them. Yeah, that that would maybe if we could bring some attention to this. Maybe I'll write an op-ed on this as well, and then post it on our website. So yeah, there 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 are things I, I would be happy to do as a team here. So let, let's definitely uh, keep this on our radar, the three of us, and do what we can to to bring more attention to this. Because like you said, what two or three articles on this at most? Uh, people need to know about this. So they do. Uh, it's completely it's 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 a complete it's complete malpractice on the part of their government on a part of that town on a part of the state and a part of the United States government honestly we can't be having these water like water related crises you know and these health crises that also mesh with environmental crisis that also mesh with racial justice that also mesh mesh with environmental justice it's too much it's too much right one of the richest countries in the world and this is what we're this, this, this is, is what we're dealing with. Yeah. yeah, and we we can't let this happen to our people. And furthermore, you know, I think that a lot of Americans look at the concept or perceive the concept of third world conditions, uh, you know, as far away from the United States. But that's not true. That's not true whatsoever. And I think that you know that idea of that third world is far away. Is yeah, it's here. Yeah, it's here in our I mean, backyards. Yep. Yeah, and like not even not to get off topic, but not even that, but like criminal justice, gun violence, healthcare, education, inequality, like infrastructure. The list goes on. It's like I would argue that America is like a third world country in a lot of ways. 
it's, it's scary to think that, but it's, 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 it's also kind of true. So, well, I guess let's put a positive note on this. Uh, this will be our, our final topic of the day. There, there might be a way we could leverage some of the federal government to, to address some of these issues, and that is through Biden's new uh, office uh, to treat climate change like a public health crisis. It's the new Office for Climate and Health Equity, which would fall underneath the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Reading from a, a story on grist.com, this would be a new office to, uh, to address the public health risk of climate change, protect communities that disproportionately bear the brunt of climate-related health impacts. So hopefully, if this office is up and running, it would be able to address the sewage issues of southeastern and southwestern Illinois. And But it, it's not just that. It would, it would address the health risk of extreme heat, heat waves and drought and pollution and supercharged hurricanes. The, the office would, would look out to, uh, to, to identify communities that, that are t taking on the brunt of the damage of, of climate hazards and try to address them uh, through, uh, you know, the healthcare sector. Right. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it was something that was kind of spawned from an executive order in, in January. And now here we are nine months later, it, it's already nine months later, it, it's actually happening. At least the office is happening. We'll see what actually is executed as a result and you know, what's, what's implemented. Yeah. But so both of your thoughts on this office and, and how do you think it'll, 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 it'll help us? Yeah, I mean, so the office is specifically focusing on um, sustainable infrastructure, which we actually chatted about last week about the town in upstate New York. So that would be, you know, wonderful if we could make progress on, on infrastructure, um, promoting community resistance to climate change, which is really important. I think as we've mentioned several times on the podcast that a big hurdle in climate change is just having people believe it. And, you know, if you can get that far, that's a huge win. Um, so yeah, community resistance to climate change, especially in underprivileged areas and partnering with the country's health systems to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, promote resilience and supporting new, stronger infrastructure. So again, it is quite vague at this point as a lot of items coming out of this administration has been, but I'm hopeful, I would say. Right. I did want to give some perspective here on uh, from this one of these reports. It's actually a report from the United Nations uh, that says weather disasters are happening four to five times more than they did in the 1970s. 50 years ago, we, the world saw roughly 700 weather disasters per year on average. Today, that number is up to more than 3,500. Disasters are killing fewer people, but they're causing seven times more damage. So clearly, there's based on this, the, 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 these, these stats from the United Nations, even though people aren't dying immediately from it, there's still a lot more happening. And the healthcare sector in the U.S. contributes 8.5% of the U.S. total, U.S.'s total um, emissions. Mm -hmm. So w what they're trying to do is to lower that, which makes sense to me. I don't know about you guys. Um, no, it makes sense to me. And, and it's, you know, critical to reducing the country's emission. I mean, 8.5% 8, 8 is, is quite high. Um, it's real high. Not quite high. It's, yes, it's real high. Very high. Yeah. Mary, did you want to jump in here real quick? 
Yeah. I think that it's extremely important to kind of shift the left for lack of a better word to shift the marketing around how we are talking about climate change, especially on a political level. I think it's extremely important for Biden to be looking at this as a public health crisis. And I think that looking at it that way is a more digestible, like a more digestible message for people to begin sort of understanding how to implement change. Because when we deal with public health crises, we, um, we we have like sort of a structured like manufactured way that we sort of go about handling these issues I and agree. i think that if yeah. yeah and and i and i think that also it kind of like in conjunction with this sort of new messaging and sort of new frame of mind, this new lens on climate change like looking at it through a public health lens i think that this allows for the space for sort of education to also take place around it. Like every, we all, like there needs to be like a whole education campaign around what exactly climate change is, what exactly it looks like, what does it mean? Like, what is it gonna do? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for people right now? What does it mean for people in 10 years? Like there needs to be some sort of education campaign for the average person. Like, I mean, also like us, you know, um, there needs to be that in conjunction with all of this. And it needs to be sort of like a campaign sort of situation because otherwise people are just going to sit there on their asses like, oh no, it's not happening. Or, oh no, it's not going to happen to me. Or, oh, I actually don't care because I'm going to die and it's fine. You know, it's, it's, we're going to maintain these very unhelpful mentalities towards a screaming, raging crisis that's happening around us unless there's education happening and sort of mm-hmm. a, a, a shift in framework. So, or a shift in lens, you know, so I totally agree with you, Mary. And I think like, you know, a lot of people might listen to that and think, well, you know, the COVID crisis and look at the deniers, but there's far more people who are, who are on board than not. So I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I I also, sorry, go on. (laughs) I was just going to say, you're always going to have people who, I'm going to choose my words carefully here who choose not to believe facts, but I think that treating it in such a way that it's reality and, and structuring it and having these, you know, as you said, like manufactured ways of dealing with it. I think that would be very helpful. Yeah, I think so too. Well, and also I just, I think part of the reason why, you know, COVID deniers and whatever those that sector of the population exists is because the education there was no education around covid there still really hasn't been there's not really been an educational campaign of any kind that has helped people sort of digest the reality of what's going on it's kind of been like okay either sink or swim you can either wear a mask or not you know there hasn't been proper you know, education groups that exist for every, that exist in every sort of organized, um, org, like any organized activism groups, if that makes sense. And all of these things do sort of require that level of planning and that level of organization, particularly around health issues, particularly around environmental issues. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm going to take raise you. I think it's a greater failure of the of the entire educational system, not just 
COVID specific. I mean, we we have failed so many people in terms of treat, teaching them how to be critical thinkers, and and to uh, we allow them to believe certain things that are not fact based. So I would say that it's a failure of our education system in general. You know, and, and you know, it's one thing like I went to a good school system in, in, in suburban Los Angeles. You know, so I, 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 I'm kind of spoiled in the education I got, but I also realized I was also privileged that most of the country was not given the kind of education that I was given. And because of that, when you're now in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you kind of believe things that you believe and you, you just weren't taught to, to understand how to, how to digest these things, how to digest the, 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 the harms of COVID, how to digest right. climate change. Whatever, whatever the disaster is, so to understand and grasp what it really means, and, and so I'd say it's it, it's 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 a much larger systemic issue of a lack of education across the board from the beginning. It's now well, the one, yeah. the one, the one thing that I would say is that one of the ways that adults continue to learn, like well into their adult years, is through like activist education campaigns. You know, like these. Like act, activism and education go hand in hand. That's half of what activism is. However, we're not really seeing any COVID activists right now. And granted, it's really hard to organize because we can't get together, you know? So that's like a huge part of it. Also, also organizing and having to do things over over Zoom is not the same. <laughs> it's just really not. No, it's not, and, yeah. You know, and, and I think that, Yes, it is definitely an issue with education, like the, the, our education system in America, because it <laughs> is embarrassed. It's an embarrassment, honestly, uh, have whatever, whatever. But that's also like, that is only really going to teach people until they're 25. Sometimes people, when they just sort of graduate college, they stop really thinking altogether in general. That's the most thinking that they've ever done, you know? And so- I was very curious to know both of your guys' thoughts on had there not been any restrictions throughout COVID, and I'm going to relate this back to climate, but had there not been any mask mandates, had there not been any shutdowns, had there not been any, you know, social distancing (laughs) mandates, how do you think the country as a whole or the world would have like what do you think would have happened if if they were making the suggestions if they were saying this is the situation the government and these government agencies and they were telling you you know this is what you need to do but there was no rule like there was no you know rule saying that you had to do this we weren't shutting you down you don't have to wear them but we're recommending that you did where do you think we would be today i'm just curious that's a a, that's a that's a tough question to answer, and B, I don't know how much time we have to answer that <laughs> long, long, long discussion. I, I guess, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just curious to know because relating back to climate, uh-huh. if you're if you're not if you're not placing the same urgency on a crisis on a public health crisis that you are with COVID, I I just don't know how we're ever going to get anywhere if you're not structurally yeah. changing something. Somebody's uh, yeah. not going to just listen. You see no. where I'm getting at? No, I, I, I yes, I, I agree. After we get that, and I, I think what I'm, about, what I'm about to say is fallacious. From I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate here. It's it's a poor argument, but I'll say this is what I think is is happening. That you'll have some people that will say the difference is 
at least COVID, we could see the, the harms. We could see how many hospital beds are taken up. We could we, we know how many people have died. Whereas you'll say you'll have people say, well, I can't see how how much the water has risen. But yeah, can you see not see that we have more climate events happening on a more daily basis? More wildfires, more hurricanes, more this, more that. People are drowning. People's houses are falling on them. Like yeah. Like, what do these Right, but. So people people try to argue like, oh, we can't see it, therefore it's not happening. But that that's, that's fallacious to say that. But I think that's what people would say. That that's what that's how they start to think. This is kind of their 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 attempt to be smart. To say, hey, I could see what's happening with COVID. I can't see what's happening with climate change, even though we, we can see what's happening on both sides. Also, I think that people do argue that they can't see what's happening with COVID. I think that people are like, it's fake. It's fake. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Or so, it's so climate, no worse than the flu, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just wild because climate change already causes five million extra extra deaths per per year, and like I'm not trying to say COVID nineteen was not serious. It absolutely is a contagious, very, very, very serious disease. But so five million extra deaths per year for for um for climate and then overall worldwide for COVID it's like what 1.5 million if I'm if I'm not mistaken maybe it's more than that so I I just can't see how people don't see it it's just crazy to me part of the, the misinformation out there and, and what people believe what they want to believe or not believe what they don't want to believe uh and maybe we should have enough I mean this is I mean it's my great. apologies it's 4.55 million for COVID deaths I would love to have a full episode just about this. I mean, it's like, or at least uh, a, main, a main discussion because there are so many ways we can address it in terms of like, well, what kind of information is getting out there? How can we address it better? Uh, so I would love to maybe have one of the next couple episodes where we, we just dedicate to this discussion because there's so much we could talk about here uh, and so much information we could present and, and how to address the lack of information that's out there or the misinformation out there. So. Would love to talk about that in, in the next or next couple episodes. So let's time to wrap it up. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, well, we're gonna wrap it up regardless. But I'm saying I'm also proposing that maybe this is our next episode uh, where we talk, where we just kind of dive into this a little more because I think it's, I, I do think it's an important conversation to have because no one's having it. So why not? Yeah. So I, I don't want to limit it to just the, the tail end of a of, of an episode. Let's actually have this front of mind, front of discussion. Uh, like I said, this is, you know, the, and this is not kind of, kind of me being on a soapbox now. There are so many things out there that we have to talk about that require a lot of attention. And let's keep bringing it up. I mean, let's let's let, let, let's keep these discussions going. Every every time we, we have an episode, let, let's think about well, what needs attention, and and, and yeah. how, how can we best bring it up? Uh, you know, and I know we, sometimes these come up as like today came up as a tangent. But now let's take that from tangential conversation to real conversation because we need to have it. Yeah, yeah I agree. The pro- like, And the process of structural change is a huge part of reducing emissions. So I, I think, yeah, I think it's a definitely a conversation we need to, we definitely need to have. Sure, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we'll maybe so let you know, uh, hopefully in the next two weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a plan and you know, listeners out there, hopefully, uh, you know, if you have comments you want to share with us to kind of direct us in the right direction, feel free to share that with us. 
be more than happy to uh, to take any take any input possible. So, with that, I, I, now I would like to wrap it up. So uh, let, let's uh, let's uh, let's kind of summarize. We you know we talked about the hurricane. We talked about environmental injustice and black communities and sewage. We we talked about uh, a ruling that struck down a Trump era water regulation, and we talked about the the, the new office of climate change and health equity. And we had a great tangential conversation on COVID and climate change and believers and non-believers. And hopefully the next week or two or the next episode, we will be able to expound upon that, uh, that topic. So Mary and Dana, I really appreciate both of you. Uh, you. You both bring so much to the table. So thanks so much for your contributions and your, your viewpoints and your discussions. And obviously you can hear this episode and others on, on, our, on all of our platforms. We are on iTunes, we are on uh, Amazon Music, we are on Google Podcasts, we are on Spotify, we are on iHeartRadio. So definitely search for Erased. This is episode number four, uh, episode number fourteen. I'm Pimo. Uh, you can find us, uh, uh, me and Mary and Dana, all of us chatting on our on our social media outlets, be it Facebook, be it. Uh, Instagram, via Twitter, and just search for Erase Environment and you'll find us. And you'll find all of our episodes shared. And so we will have this episode up this weekend. Today is September 2nd. Any other closing thoughts from you and uh, from you, Mary and Dana, before we head on? If you guys have, if any listeners have any tips or ideas or comments or anything that topics that you'd like for us to cover, please, by all means, reach out. That's what we do. We're here for you. Yep. I agree. I love that. If there's anything you're ever interested in learning about, let us know. We can definitely chat about what people are, you know, maybe confused by or just want more information on. We are definitely happy to chat about it. Excellent. Thanks again to the both of you and for everybody who's been tuning in and supporting us. Also, thank you. We will continue to pr- provide you with as much news and information as possible, as many resources as possible. So on behalf of Mary and Dana and everyone else here at Grace and the Asian Highway Podcast Network, thank you for tuning in. I'm Pimo signing off and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.